good to be here on this first Sabbath in January, and uh, God has been good already in the new year. I want to mention that uh, this Sunday I'm going to workers' meeting at Leone's uh, Meadows, and um, so I won't be back uh, in time for prayer meeting, but we have a special presenter for January through the end of February, and that is Goodmunder Olafson, and uh, he goes to the Calistoga Church, but he's going to do a presentation for prayer meeting for the first two months of the year that's entitled God in the Book of Daniel. And he's doing that right now in Calistoga, but I invited him to do it up here. And so I think you'll be blessed in his presentation. This kind of a study he's done for many years in the book of Daniel. He's a Old Testament uh, professor. So uh, it's been very enlightening. God in the book of Daniel uh, for the next two months. Then, and, and then we're going to go into a series of studies for the rest of the year in the book of Daniel. It'll be Bible study for from March until the end of the year in the book of Daniel. And so uh, I think that's going to be exciting for us to uh, do that. And then in the month of June, uh, I think it's June the 7th, um, we're going to have as a speaker Alastair Huang. I hope I'm saying it correctly. But he's the executive director for Audioverse. He's going to be our Sabbath speaker June the 7th of next year. So I think that's going to be a, a blessing for us as well. <coughs> this year. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this year. So um, just something to look forward to. But I'd like to invite you now to, to um, join me as I pray as we begin our message for this morning. Heavenly Father, you are the one who has given truth for each one of us. And as we have come together because of you, we pray that you will speak to each one of us. In the name of Jesus, amen. Jane Fonda, the daughter of the legendary actor Henry Fonda, was quite and is quite an interesting person. Her father became legendary by playing heroic characters in movies like The Grapes of Wrath and Twelve Angry Men. However, her father did not seem to be as heroic in real life because he was an abusive father in the family. Jane Fonda's mother committed suicide in a mental institution when Jane was only 12 years old. Jane attended Vassar College and during that time struggled with bulimia. She was not sure of her direction in life, so she decided that she would attend Lee Strasberg Actors Studio. Once she got involved in acting, Jane seemed to excel. She won two Academy Awards, an Emmy Award, three Golden Globes, and received movie awards and nominations in more than 50 years as an actress. After 15 years in retirement, she returned to film in 2005 with Monster in Law, followed by Georgia Rule two years later. Jane produced and starred in exercise videos between 1982 and 1995. And then Jane, in 2010, she did the same thing. In late 1970, Jane turned her attention to being a film producer. She did The China Syndrome, 
9 to 5, and on Golden Pond. Jane married movie actor Roger Bandem because she was taken by his European intellectualism, which most people at the time identified as liberalism. She later married to radical activist turned politician Tom Hayden. She and Hayden divorced in 1989 and after a 16-year marriage. In 1991, Jane did something that shocked those close to her, and that was marrying Ted Turner, the Time Warner vice chairman, who also happened to be the country's largest landowner with more than 1.6 million acres, on which he runs his herd of 17,000 buffalo. His successes include ownership of television channels, CNN, and the superstation TBS. He won the America Cup in 1977, and his Atlanta Braves won the 1995 World Series. Behind his entrepreneurial spirit lies a much higher and deeper social agenda. This is what is said about him. Ted believes in anything that promotes peace, harmony, understanding, and brotherhood. He says this, you know, I'm not looking for any big rewards. I'm not a religious person. I believe this life is all we have. I'm not doing what I'm doing to be rewarded in heaven or punished in hell. I'm doing it because I feel it's the right thing to do. Almost every religion talks about a savior coming. He says, when you look in the mirror in the morning, when you're putting on your lipstick or shaving, you're looking at the savior. Nobody else is going to save you but yourself. Ted Turner told his marriage counselor that Jane had accepted Jesus as her Lord and Savior and was now trying to make him a saint. In fact, Ted Turner has complained that several of his closest friends and associates have accepted Christ over the years. Key people in Turner Broadcasting, his best fishing buddy, and his former Paramore. Several years ago, he told Woodstock Baptist Church in an apology for some anti-Christian comments that in his youth, he had accepted Christ Jesus at a Billy Graham crusade, but then rejected Jesus when his sister died and his father committed suicide. Turner said it was his wife's conversion to Christianity that was responsible for the divorce that ended their nine-year marriage. In a New Yorker magazine article, Turner said, she just came home and said, I become a Christian. He said, that's pretty big change for your wife of many years to tell you. That's a shock. When Ted Turner became upset with Fonda or Jane because she began attending Atlanta's fashionable Peachtree Presbyterian Presbyterian Church, Jane asked her chauffeur, the key figure in her spiritual search, who had been approaching her about his personal faith in Christ for two years, despite her being uncomfortable with their conversations where she should go to church since her husband didn't want her going to the Peace Tree Presbyterian Church. The sofer said, why don't you come to my church, which was a predominantly black church in Atlanta. She accepted the invitation and became a regular member there. 
Now, I want you to keep that story in mind as we look now in Acts, the 8th chapter, verses 1 through 4, then in Acts chapter 11, 19 through 26. Acts chapter 8. Verses 1 through 4, then Acts 11, 19 through 16. Here's what the Bible says. The Bible says, And Saul was consenting unto his death, talking about Stephen. And at that time there was a great persecution against the church which was at Jerusalem. And they were all scattered abroad throughout the regions of Judea, and Samaria, except the apostles. Verse 2, And devout men carried Stephen to his burial and made great lamentation over him. As for Saul, he made havoc of the church, entering into every house and hauling men and women, committed them to prison. Therefore, they that were scattered abroad went everywhere preaching the word. And we move to chapter 11 because this is where we really pick up from that fourth verse. Acts chapter 11, starting with verse 19, the Bible says, Now they which were scattered abroad upon the persecution that arose about Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, preaching the word to none but unto the Jews only. And some of them were men of Cyprus and Cyrene, which when they were come to Antioch, spake unto the Grecians, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number believed and turned unto the Lord. Then tidings of these things came unto the ears of the church which was in Jerusalem, and they sent forth Barnabas that he should go as far as Antioch, who, when he came and had seen the grace of God, was glad and exhorted them all that with purpose of heart they should cleave unto the Lord. 24. For he was a good man and full of the Holy Ghost and of faith. And much people was added unto the Lord. Then departed Barnabas to Tarsus for to seek Saul. And when he had found him, he brought him unto Antioch. And it came to pass that a whole year they assembled themselves with the church and taught much people. And the disciples were called Christians first in Antioch. The title of the message today is Antioch. And when we look at the book that talks about Antioch, the book of Acts, we find that as it is the second volume in a two-part work by Luke, that is the book of Acts, this book probably had no separate title. But all available Greek manuscripts designated by the title Prexeis, or P-R-A-X-E-I-S, or Acts, or by an expanded title like the Acts of the Apostles. Praxius was commonly used in Greek literature to summarize the accomplishments of outstanding men. And so we just say Acts. And it's interesting that though we call this book the Acts of the Apostles, that was not the original name, it just had Acts. And so in the book of Acts, we have several people mentioned, people like John, James, Stephen, Philip, Barnabas, Cornelius, James, the brother of Jesus, Timothy, Lydia, Silas, Titus, Apollos, Ananias, that anointed 
Saul and made him Paul, Felix, Agrippa, Luke, and Ananias and Sapphira, to mention some of them. And so when we talk about Acts of the Apostles, we don't really cover every single apostle in the book of Acts. And so you basically have in the book of Acts two broad sections. That is this. If you want to get a general look at the book of Acts, you have the Acts of Peter from chapter 1 through 12 and then the Acts of Paul from 13 to 28. They are the big figures in the book of Acts, Peter and Paul. Because of Luke's strong emphasis on the ministry of the Holy Spirit in the book of Acts, this book could be regarded as the acts of the Spirit of Christ working in and through the apostles. Acts is a pivotal book of transition. For Acts, you move from the gospel to the epistles. And acts from Judaism to Christianity and acts from Jews alone to Jews and Gentiles people, Gentile people and acts from the kingdom to the church. And so as we talk about acts, the first point I want to make is the territory of the gospel commission includes secular Tourist towns. Let me say that again. The territory of the gospel commission includes secular tourist towns. Now, let me unpack that a little bit. In Acts chapter one and verse eight, the Bible says this. But ye shall receive power after the that the Holy Ghost has come upon you and ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. Let me go back through that again. All right. The Bible says in Acts 1, 8, but ye shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you and ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in the book of Acts. When we talk about Jerusalem, we're talking about going from chapter one, verse one through chapter eight and verse four. Then it says, and in all Judea and in Samaria that picks up Acts chapter eight, five through Acts 12, 25. And then it concludes by saying, and unto the uttermost part of the earth. And that includes Acts chapter 13 to Acts chapter 28, the rest of the book of Acts. Mark 16, 15, the Bible says, and he said unto them, go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He's telling his apostles, I want you to go everywhere and tell everybody what I have given to you. And so Desire of Ages, page 194, has this to say. The gospel invitation is not to be narrowed down and presented only to a select few who we suppose will do us honor if they accept it. The message is to be given to all. To who? Oh, the message that God has given us is for everybody. Second Peter three and verse and verse nine, the Bible says the Lord is not slack concerning his promise as some men count slackness, but is long suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Antioch. You had two people, two sections of the country known as Antioch. The one we're focusing on is Antioch and Syria. Antioch, Antioch was known as the queen of the east and became the third metropolis of the empire, being next to Rome and Alexandria in size. The population of Antioch in New Testament times was from 250,000 to 800,000 people. Big city. Paul considered after a while Antioch his headquarters 
and begin also his second and third missionary journey from the city of Antioch. Antioch and Syria gradually replaced Jerusalem as the headquarters of the church. There was a shift from Jerusalem to Antioch because of the Gentile converts. The Bible tells us in Acts 13, 1 through 3, it says this. Now there was in the church that was at Antioch certain prophets and teachers as Barnabas and Simeon that was called Niger and Lucius of Cyrene and Manian, which had been brought up with Herod, the Tetrarch and Saul. As they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Ghost said, separate me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work whereunto I have called them. And when he had fasted and prayed and laid their hands on them, they sent them away. What's happening here? Paul is getting ordained. And here's how I said a little clearer in Acts of the Apostles, page 161. God foresaw the difficulties that his servants would be called to meet. And in order that their work should be above challenge, he instructed the church by revelation to set them apart publicly to the work of the ministry. Their ordination was a public recognition of their divine appointment to bear to the Gentiles the glad tidings of the gospel. Now, this is very interesting. That here is Paul, here is Barnabas, but there were some people before them. They first started working with the Jews that had been scattered. And as these Jews were scattered because of persecution, the Bible says when they were persecuted, they went everywhere still spreading the gospel. And so there was a group of people in Antioch before Paul got there, before Barnabas got there, that were already acknowledging the gospel that was being proclaimed by the apostles. But they first started out with the Jews. But there was a transition to finally move the gospel to non-Jews, to Gentiles. And as Paul worked for these Gentile people and saw them responding to the gospel, even when Barnabas came, he was glad to see how they were responding to the gospel. But the interesting thing, they were not ordained yet. Here's a good lesson here. You don't have to be ordained to spread good news. Ordination recognizes that God has already been working with you to bring souls to the kingdom of God. It imparts no extra spiritual power to win souls because Paul and Barnabas and men from Cyrene and even here it suggested that this talking about someone from Cyrene may have been Simon who had carried Christ's cross. But they were working for God without being ordained because they had been set aside by God himself to work for him. And the good news is that every member of the church has been set aside to carry this gospel. Ordained or not, we've been called to carry this gospel everywhere we go to everybody we meet. Now. I told you that this first section of the message is, 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 is focused on the territory of the Gospel Commission includes secular tourist towns. Pastor, why would you say that? I'm glad you asked. What does Antioch have to do with tourist towns? A whole lot. A whole lot. And this statement from Acts of the Apostles got my attention that Antioch, or or listen to it and see how it grabs you. Let me read this statement to you from Acts of the Apostles and see how it grabs you. It, It may have grabbed you the same way it grabbed me when I read it. Here it is. Acts of the Apostles, page 155, paragraph two. It says this. Among the places mentioned where the gospel was gladly received is Antioch. At that time, the metropolis of Syria. 
The extensive commerce carried on from that populous center brought to the city many people of various nationalities. Besides, Antioch was favorably known as a resort for lovers of ease and pleasure. Because of its healthful situation, its beautiful surroundings, and the wealth, culture, and refinement to be found there in the days of the apostles, it had become a city of luxury and vice. I don't know how that grabbed you, but it grabbed me this way. Napa Valley. San Francisco. Let me read it again. See if it doesn't grab you that way. It grabbed me that way when I read it. Read it one more time. The extensive commerce carried on from that populous city brought to the city many people of various nationalities. Besides, Antioch was favorably known as a resort for lovers of ease and pleasure. Because of its healthful situation, health spas, mud baths, its beautiful surroundings, Calistoga, St. Helena, and wealth, St. Helena, Calistoga, Culture, refinement to be found there in the days of the apostles, it had become a city of luxury and vice. Now they tell me that in Calistoga, approximately 300,000 people come through every year. They tell me in St. Helena, about 500,000 come through that city. Both cities have about 5,000 people populations. That's a lot of people from different nationalities flowing through this small corridor that we live in. A lot of people flowing through. They have money. I'm so naive. I was so surprised when I went down to uh, Salage. And I found out that when you go to Salage and you can stay there, that they have a brand new Mercedes Benz convertible that's at your disposal, that you do not have to put gas in when you pick it up or when you drop it off. You just have to sign up and say, I need to use the car. You just take it if it's not being used. I don't live in a world like that naturally. A Mercedes-Benz brand new convertible, you can just pick it up. You don't have to put gas in when you pick it up and when you put it back, bring it back empty. That's just for your convenience. There's a lot of money flowing through this area. But the point I want to make today, we're in a California Antioch. And this territory is still part of the territory that we have been sent because it's a part of the world. It's a tourist town like Antioch was. Now, here's how people may feel. It's hard to reach people in a tourist town. They have money. They have land. And uh, they don't have any needs. And let's not waste our time. But I want to suggest to you that as Antioch was in Bible days, a country, a city larger than our cities are right now, 250,000 to 800,000 people that Paul went there. They labored for one whole year, he and Barnabas. And it said they taught many people there. And here is the good part about it. It says, and the disciples were first called Christians, where? In Antioch. (laughs) In a town like that, well, why were they called Christians there in Antioch? Well, we're told they talk so much about Christ on a regular basis. It was kind of like a put down for some people. 
They're talking about Christ. Christians, that's all they talk about is Christ, 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 Christ. They talk about his crucifixion. They talk about him coming back. They talk about him healing people. They talk about him raising the dead. They talk about his sermons that he preached, like the Sermon on the Mount, that beautiful Sermon on the Mount that's uh, taken from Matthew chapter 5 through chapter 7. He, he, they're always talking about Christ. We're going to call them Christians. But not only were they talking about Christ, they were living like Christ. But not only were they talking about Christ and living like Christ in a beautiful, helpful situation where a lot of rich people were going and coming, they were still so a part of talking about Christ, we're going to call them Christians. The spirit of prophecy says that God gave them that name. Not just the people. They may have done it for their little reason, but just like Christ sanctified that cross that he was on and changed it from a thing of disrepute to a thing of glory, the word Christian may have been taken as something as a put down, but Christ said, I'm going to use that name because they're representing me. But not only did they get called Christians and live like Christians, they had results in winning people to Christ. I have to ask the question. Can we as members of the church reach people in Angwin, St. Helena, and Calistoga, and Yonville, and all in this valley, Napa, or it's impossible? It's Antioch. That's all it is. As I said, Paul got ordained in Antioch, not Jerusalem. (laughs) It was the members in Antioch that set him and Barnabas apart. Antioch church members that did that for him. And so the next point is this. True Christians are always working to win souls even in secular tourist towns. True Christians are always working to win souls even in secular tourist towns. Pastor, they're out here to drink wine, taste wine, eat cheese. They're just going to be drunk. They don't want to have anything to do with anything religious. And so I don't even fool with them because they will probably get offended and not want to be bothered. They have their own agenda. And so leave them alone. The ones that live here and the one that just come for vacation. Tourist. But I really believe with all my heart that true Christians are always working to win souls even in secular Tourist towns. Why? Because we've been sent. This is part of the world. The Bible says this. Luke 14, 23, the Bible says, And the Lord said unto the servant, Go out into the highways and hedges and compel them to come in that my house may be filled. John 9, 4, the Bible says this, I must work the works of him that sent me while it is day. The night cometh when no man can work. Christ's Object Lessons, page 230, says this, those who stand high in the world for their education, wealth, or calling are seldom addressed personally in regard to the interests of the soul. Many Christian workers hesitate to approach these classes. I'm not going to approach them. But this should not be. If a man were drowning, we would not stand by and see him perish because he was a lawyer, a merchant, or a judge. Oh, I'm not going to, he's a judge. (laughs) I'm not going to try to save him. Oh, he's a doctor. I'm not going to worry about him. No, he owns a vineyard. I'm not going to try to save him because he has everything already. I'll let him drown. If we saw persons rushing over a precipice, we would not hesitate to urge them back. Whatever might be their position or calling, 
Neither should we hesitate to warn men of the peril of the soul. Christ our lessons 231 says this. None should be neglected because of their apparent devotion to worldly things. Many in high social positions are heart sore and sick of vanity. They are longing for a peace that they have not. In the very highest ranks of society are those who are hungering and thirsting for salvation. Many would receive help if the Lord's workers would approach them personally with a kind manner, a heart made tender by the love of Christ. I started off with the Jane Fonda story. The purpose of that whole story was who was a major person that interested her in Christ? Her chauffeur. Chauffeurs can't reach, reach people. They're low on the totem pole. They just need to keep their mouth closed and, and not worry about them. They have everything. She's a movie star. Her husband is one of the richest men around. Why worry with her? Just stick to your driving and, and be quiet. He tried to talk to Jane Fonda for two years and she didn't like him talking to her. And someone probably say, leave her alone, keep your job. You're going to end up getting fired. Talking about spiritual things. Her husband, you know, doesn't have any interest in religious people. And he even has many comments. They said he was like the mouth of the South, Ted Turner. He could say all kind of things. They say he wasn't very kind at times because he had a lot of money. Leave her alone. Don't worry about Jane Fonda. You can't give her something to eat. She has money that you'll never dream of. Just be quiet and drive your car. He spoke to her. And finally, she asked her chauffeur, you know any place I can go to church? Yeah, come to my church. She could have said, it's a black church. I'm not going over there. I'm going to the fancy church I was originally going to. She went there and kept going there. A chauffeur. Now, I like these few statements from the spirit of prophecy here. Here's what it says. St. Helena, Angwin, tourist towns. What can you do? Try this out. Minister of Healing 470. Powerful statement. The strongest argument in favor of the gospel is a loving and lovable Christian. Can I say that again? The strongest argument in favor of the gospel is a loving and lovable Christian. Be nice. <laughs> to whoever you run into as you go and come in this Tourist area, just be nice. That's step one. Here's another statement, a beautiful statement. 9T198-89 says this. 9T189 says this. If we would humble ourselves before God and be kind and courteous and tenderhearted and pitiful, there would be 100 conversions to the truth where now there is only one. I'll read it one more time. If we would humble ourselves before God and be kind and courteous. If you're moving around, don't be so focused on going to Safeway, so focused on going to the Calmart or something that all you do is try to get your business done and get back home. Can't you just be kind to somebody? Hey, how are you doing? Where are you from? Are you from here? You're just being kind. You don't need a track to be kind. You just be kind. Glad to meet you. Glad to uh, talk to you. Hope you have a nice time. Christ Our Do Lessons, page 300, says this. Far more than we do, we need to speak of the precious chapters in our experience. Such a testimony will have an influence upon others. No more effective means can be employed for winning souls to Christ. What do you mean, Pastor? Tell people how happy you are in Jesus. I think that's what Jim was talking about. Happy New Year. Oh, yes, I'm so happy in the Lord. 
I don't want to offend anybody. You're not trying to offend anybody. You're trying to just talk about how good God is already to you in 2014. Let me read that statement again. It's a powerful one. Far more than we do, we need to speak of the precious chapters in our experience. Such a testimony will have an influence upon others. No more effective means can be employed for winning souls to Christ. Be nice. Last Sabbath at Calcer, we had a baptism. Janice and Frank Motsi. Do you know how they ended up being baptized? Thank you for asking me. Janice had gotten to the place she didn't return, want to return to her Catholic church. So she was over at CalMart and she saw over at CalMart, she saw Sharon Christensen and she asked her, going in the store, I'm interested in um, cooking and things like that. And uh, do you know anything around here? Sharon said, well, I'm into cooking. Why don't you come? We can get together and cook a little bit. Pure cooking. So she got with her and went, and, and, and I think Janice, what's her last name? Janice, uh, can't think of her last name. She lives up here. They got together just for cooking demonstrations. An amazing thing now, I can, yeah, I'll say this anyway. <laughs> Janice wasn't heavy into cooking in a large part of her life. In fact, one of their friends tells this story. He said that he told Janice's husband one time, his name was Frank, he said, why don't you take your wife someplace she's never been? He said, where's that? The kitchen. (laughs) But she had gotten interested in trying to cook a little bit better, so she took these classes. They had Bible studies. They were attending the church and everything. I think the Bible studies went on about two years. And I'm talking about how I thought. Are they going to ever make a decision? <laughs> two years, maybe even longer. Bandy, Pastor Bandy started the study. and Pastor Alexander did some studying with them and that kind of thing. It just went, to me, it just went on and on and on. But the last Sabbath of this year, They both got baptized in a tourist town, not a public meeting, not a a three, just going to the store, looking around, ask somebody about cooking. And that was the connection that God had ordained. Little kindness, a little time. They're baptized members now of the Seventh-day Adventist Church. Here's another one. Christ's object lessons. Um. Page 232. Oh, let me do 231. 232, paragraph 1. Thousands can be reached in the most simple and humble way. The most intellectual, those who are looked upon as the world's most gifted men and women, are often refreshed by the simple words of one who loves God and who can speak of that love as naturally as the whirling speaks of the things that interest him mostly. Next paragraph. Often the words well prepared and studied have but little influence. I got to get everything all tight and, 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 and I, I want to sound like Dennis Preby when I get there. So everything is just airtight. There's no nothing out of place. I'm not as smart as him, but I, I can't reach anybody unless I am as smart as him. You better wake up. Here's the rest of that statement here. But the true, honest expression of a son or daughter of God, spoken in natural simplicity, has power to unbolt the door to hearts that have long been closed against Christ and his love. That's great to me. Antioch. That's where we live. In a modern Antioch. And what God is looking for is people. A lot of people think about Paul, but remember, Barnabas went and got Paul. 
He was already working. He may not, he wasn't as, as big as Paul to write books in the Bible and that kind of a thing. But we needed a little bit more help. He went and got Paul to help, but they worked together. It wasn't just Paul all by himself. You ever heard of a gentleman named Christopher Hudson? Okay, let me just share this with you. Okay, somehow. The Alabama-based evangelist Christopher Hudson has posted online videos promoting the Seventh-day Adventist faith for years. But none generated the response of the one he posted a few days ago featuring, this was a while back, about a year or so ago, two and a half men, actor Angus T. Jones. In 2010, Jones became the highest paid child star in television at the age of 17 when his new contract with two and a half men guaranteed him $7.8 million over the next two seasons. And that's about $300,000 for each of the 26 episodes. The video shows Jones... This, the video Jones shows Jones, the CBS sitcom Half Man, describing the show he has appeared in for nearly a decade as filthy and discouraging views from turning in and discouraging and discouraging viewers from tuning in, which has attracted a crush of media attention. Hudson, Christopher Hudson, who flew to Los Angeles last week to tape the video with the 19-year-old actor, says his phone has been ringing off the hook ever since he posted the video online on Sunday. Suddenly, reporters and plenty of others who've tuned into the wildly popular Two and a Half Men wanted to know about the Seventh-day Adventist tradition, which Jones says in the online video He has recently joined, connecting his conversion to his new outlook on the show. I just keep learning the basic messages of the Seventh-day Adventist Church, Jones says in the video, telling of stopping into a Seventh-day Adventist Church with a friend recently and finding himself gripped by the pastor's message. He said, I just loved it. Some of my family was like, oh, he's joining the SDA Church, those cults. And tried to get me out of there. Jones continues in the video. But I didn't feel like I was being fooled. I could study it for myself. The typical one of us would not even think you could reach a person. Making that much money in Hollywood. May not even think to pray for them. Because they're unreachable. Why did he become not just a Christian, but a Seventh-day Adventist Christian? Because I think somebody said he may be in Hollywood, a tourist town, but I'm going to still try to point him to Jesus. With all of his money, with all of his fame, I'm going to still try to point him to Jesus. They didn't say, I know he will not accept it. So I won't even try. I'll just try to get me an autograph. (laughs) And that'll be all I can get. Maybe, but I won't try to to talk about Jesus too much because you have to be very careful when you get around rich people, when you get around tourists. You can't talk too much Jesus stuff because they'll get angry. Some will. No doubt about it. But what if someone has an aching heart? They do have a lot of money, but they may have an aching heart. And they wish somebody would talk to them personally, not tell them to go to a meeting, not tell them to go watch 3ABN, but just talk to them personally and say, you know what? I found Jesus everything that I ever wanted. Everything I ever wanted. Um, Let me share with you a verse, a few verses of scripture that, that are quite interesting. In Revelation chapter 10. Revelation chapter 10. This book is so powerful, you can never stop getting a new insight. Never. Totally impossible. 
to get every insight because you've been through it a few times. This was a new insight for me personally. The Bible says this, Revelation 10, starting with verse 8, And the voice which I heard from heaven spake unto me again and said, Go and take the little book which is open in the hand of the angel which standeth upon the sea and upon the earth. Verse 9, And I went unto the angel and said unto him, Give me the little book. And he said unto me, Take it and eat it up, and it shall be It shall make thy belly bitter, but it shall be in thy mouth sweet as honey. And I took the little book out of the angel's hand and ate it up. And it was in my mouth sweet as honey. And as soon as I had eaten it, my belly was bitter. And he said unto me, thou must prophesy again before many peoples and nations and tongues and people. Now, I want you to go to Psalm 19, Psalm 19. We're in 2014, and I believe this is a year that God can use us to reach the people in our tourist area. Psalm 20, no, Psalm 19, I mean, that's where I want to go, Psalm 19. Here we go, start with verse 7. The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. Nine, the fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold. Yea, than much fine gold. And he moves from metal now to food. Sweeter also than honey and the what? The honeycomb. Okay, Daniel, eat the little book sweet as honey. Okay, now let's go to Proverbs 24. Proverbs 24. Proverbs 24. Here's what the Bible has to say. This was the new insight for me. The Bible says, my son, eat thou what? Honey. Proverbs 24 and verse 13. My son, eat thou honey because it is good. And the honeycomb, which is sweet to thy taste. 14. So shall the knowledge of wisdom be unto thy soul. When thou hast found it, then there shall be a reward. And thy expectation shall not be cut off. I read those words and they were just words. My son, eat thou honey for it is good. And the honeycomb which is sweet to thy taste. So shall the knowledge of wisdom be unto thy soul. When thou hast found it, then there shall be a reward and the expectation shall not be cut off. Here's the insight that came to me. Is a truth, is God's word, sweet as honey, my mouth and sweet as a honeycomb to my mouth sometimes you may run and say I wish it were pastor but really the word of God is more like shredded wheat dry oh it's good for me I know and I'll eat it because I want something good in my system but it's dry, shredded wheat. I put a little milk on it, soy milk, of course. But it's not sweet. And that verse 14 was a key to me. When thou hast found it. If it's not been found yet, experienced yet, for yourself, it won't be sweet. 
And if you want to give something away, it might be easier to give candy away than shredded wheat. So that if I want to reach the tourist in Antioch, it has to be an experience that I'm having for myself that is sweeter than honey and the honeycomb. And I want you to experience some of this sweetness. We live in the Napa Valley where people are tasting wine and chocolate and cheese. Is that correct? Can they give them just bad tasting chocolate, bad tasting cheese, bad tasting wines? They probably say this is one of the best you're going to get any place in the world. This is very good wine. People come from all over the world to taste it. Very good chocolate. They come from all over to taste our chocolate. We can't have good wine and bad chocolate. We're not passing out Hershey bars. Good chocolate. We're not not passing out government cheese when you come to the wineries. Good cheese, good breed, the best. And the gospel in and of itself is better than any wine, any chocolate, any cheese that anybody will ever taste. But you can't give away government cheese with great enthusiasm if you've ever tasted better. You say, oh, it's good for you. But when you got something that's really good, you say, you got to try it. And that's why the Bible says, oh, taste and what? See what? That the Lord is good. And I believe that in the year 2014, God will give us opportunities or we will take advantage of opportunities to say, I'm in a modern Antioch. A place of luxury and beauty and health and all of these things, but a place of vice that people are coming to and going from, that you may let them cross my path so that I can give them something sweeter than honey that I have experienced for my very self. And that's why I want to close with this quotation from volume seven of the testimonies that says this. And Joe is going to say, man, when I read this, he'll say it silently because he has culture. 7138. But he's going to be happy. Watch. Our publishing work was established by the direction of God and under his special supervision. It was designed to accomplish a special purpose. Seventh day Adventists have been chosen by God as peculiar people separate from the world. By the great cleaver of truth, he has cut them out from the quarry of the world and brought them into connection with himself. He has made them his representatives and has called them to be ambassadors for him in the last work of salvation. The greatest wealth of truth ever entrusted to mortals, the most solemn and fearful warning ever sent by God to man, have been committed to them to be given to the world. And, here you are, Joe, In the accomplishment of this work, our publishing houses are among the most effective agencies. I'm in a tourist town. I need to be nice, but I probably need to keep some literature with me. A track, a book, or something. Not just on Sabbath, wherever I go, I need to keep something with me because I may be passing by somebody that I can just pass on honey and honeycomb, truth, that will affect them. God bless us in the year 2014 as we seek to live for him and serve him. This is the poem for today. It's entitled, Keep Witnessing Christian in Your tourist town. Disciples were first called Christians in Antioch, the resort city where wickedness gladly wore her crown. And still today, the great gospel commission includes even your beautiful, luxurious, secular tourist town. 
And every true Christian will always be working to win souls where these wealthy pleasure seekers abound. So keep witnessing where wine tasting is all around. God's spirit will still help seeking souls to be found. God bless you. Let's have our final song now. Of the new year, we want to commit ourselves as true Christians to doing all the work we can to win souls right here in our tourist areas. In the name of Jesus, help us to be faithful. Amen.